should you like to follow along. It's a long reading today, so we're reading the first uh, 14 verses, and then uh, Jenna will pick up for her sermon the remainder. But in preparation to hear these words, let us pray. O God of many names and God beyond all names, we give you thanks that you know us by one name, which is Beloved. So as we read these ancient words, we pray your spirit would make us attentive to your word for us this day. We make this prayer in the power of the risen one. Amen. After these things, Jesus showed himself again by the sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, the night but that night caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. He said to them, Children, have you no fish? You have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord, our rabbi. Simon Peter heard that it was Jesus. He put on his clothes because he was naked, and he jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not born, torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? because they knew it was their rabbi, their Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here with the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. continuation from the Gospel of John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, 
tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Here ends our reading. We're trying to function in a world where none of us have a full handle on it all, and we have to have some agency. How do we not be powerless, and how do we shape this thing we're part of? These are the words of Atul Gawande, a surgeon, professor, and author of several articles and books, including Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. As a physician of patients with terminal diagnoses, Atul Gawande has entered into a practice of reflection on the limits of being human, our unavoidable mortality. The limits of being a physician who isn't all-knowing or all-powerful, as well as on what is possible. Fulfillment, love, teaching piano, traveling to Disney World, being a counselor to the person before him, listening for what well-being is for them, helping them to trust they can shape what comes next. But first comes the conversation that no one wants to have. Death will come. Before moving to California, I spent a year dipping my toes into the art of chaplaincy. And during that time, I had a lot of the conversations Dr. Gawande talks about. There were moments that were overtly about whether or not a patient wanted to continue with treatment, how their spirits were, and how their family members were faring. But the longer parts of the conversations, ones that spanned weeks, months, were about where they found joy. Beloved pets, places they'd been. They were about major life moments, internal and interpersonal conflicts they'd navigated, jobs they'd held, ways they felt they had contributed to the world. They were about pearls of wisdom they wanted to leave behind, and dreams they were still trying to understand. Sometimes the patients I sat with didn't have family nearby. They didn't have someone with whom to pass on their hard-won knowledge and favorite memories. So they tell them to me. Dr. Gawande says we are a link in a chain in making a contribution that goes well beyond our own life. And that's part of what makes dying tolerable. That's what makes being a mortal creature tolerable. I understood it was important for them to share. 
It was also profound to receive. I went home more often than not, thinking that if the sun did not rise again, it would have been enough. So meaningful had those bedside moments been. And now, it's often in an unexpected, ordinary moment that snippets of those conversations return to me. They've become part of my symbolic world, speaking as if from a dream. As I imagined Peter in the midst of his encounter with Jesus on the shore, I saw Jane. Before her hospital stay, she worked in a Western store as a custom shaper of hats. I didn't realize, but it is an art form to shape a cowboy hat. Each person's face is uniquely asymmetrical. She knew how to curve the brim in such a way that left its owner walking tall. Jane had the spirit of a welcome spring day, sunny and gentle. As Peter and the beloved disciple saw Jesus in the distance, I saw Jane walking from the back of the store with a perfectly shaped Stetson, making her way with a smile through the racks of Carhartt jackets, passing stacks of Wranglers and Levi's. She was my Jesus on the shore, a reminder of being connected to life beyond my own. This is the third Sunday of Easter the season that holds us as we continue to live into new life. For moving from death to life doesn't happen all at once. We need time to move between two worlds. John's epilogue, our chapter 21, reads like a waking dream. It is unclear what is symbol and what is real. Just the chapter before, Mary endures the shock of Jesus' body being gone and hears him call her name in the voice of a gardener. The disciples, hiding out in a locked room, see Jesus with them in their fear, who then invites Thomas to touch his wounds. Jesus is everywhere and nowhere. He is tangible and undefinable. Isn't this the way it is with death? Without words to process that haze, Peter and a handful of disciples go back to work, fishing, just as I saw Jane working with her hat. Perhaps they decided it was time to re-enter the world, to return to their routines, to what was familiar before it all happened. But once on the water, we are transported into memory after memory. The first time they met Jesus, to the shore and the empty nets. The first time they took his guidance and got more fish than they bargained for. When they see Jesus by the charcoal fire, we are transported to that night Peter was standing by another charcoal fire, afraid or unable to affirm who he was after Jesus was taken away. With the fish and the bread warming, we are taken back to that unbelievable meal when 5,000 people were fed on two fish and five loaves of bread. We are reminded of all the meals, 
all the times Jesus invited the people to come and rest. We are reminded of his wisdom, his welcome, and his soothing presence, sunny and gentle, like a welcome spring day. And when Jesus asks Peter three times whether he loves him, he gets his chance to set the record straight. If this was a dream, I imagine this scene to be Peter's deepest self trying to put the pieces back together, trying to make things right, wanting the opportunity to say just as strongly, just as clearly what he knew Jesus already knew, that he really did love him, though he had denied him before. Joyce, David's mom, says that major life events like birth and the, the birth of a child or the death of someone we've loved causes us to open. Jesus, this gesture. The facades, the walls we build away, we build, fall away, and we begin to feel connected to all of humanity. And then, after a while, that feeling goes away and we forget what it was like. That open feeling grows distant. But for whatever time we live in that open space, we live more present to the people around us and to those who have died and to those who have just come into the world. To the neighbors and the people in the grocery store, to the children going to school and the line of cars dropping them off, to the Janes and to the Sashas. In Peter's wakeful dream, when the fish become sheep, when Jesus directs him to feed and tend them, I wonder if Peter felt that connection to all of humanity that Joyce talks about, that I experienced so frequently in the hospital, more present to the people Jesus loved. Maybe tending to them became Peter's answer to the question of how we shape this life we are a part of, while not having a full handle on it. Maybe it became his way of being a link in a chain, making a contribution that goes well beyond one life, connecting him to the person he loved and to the greater life out of which we arose and into which we return. What's your way in? Though we don't have a full handle on it all, how do you enter the world? I'm grateful to be linked with you. Amen.